Today, God's word comes to us from Isaiah and then also from Philippians. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. And then from Philippians, Paul says, Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on to the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Well, good morning. Happy New Year. Yeah, my name is Prentice. I am the lead pastor at Bethany West Seattle. Uh, And man, it's so exciting to be here under one roof, to be together, to see what God has uh, for us. Uh, Just out of curiosity, how, raise your hand if you made it to midnight. Nice. Yeah, I, I figured you guys, I mean, you guys were the second crew. Uh, The first crew a little less, second, and I bet 7 o'clock. So I have to start off with a confession. I had a pretty wild night. Right? No? You don't believe me? Those of you that know me. Uh, So I celebrated New Year's uh, with the East Coast. Uh, Not in the East Coast. Uh, With them, I saw the ball drop uh, at 9 o'clock p.m. uh, and was in bed by 9.30. It was amazing. And so I'm so glad that we're here together again. And today we're going to be talking about uh, what it looks like for believers, for Christians, for us to look at 2017 and to be moving forward to all that God has called us to be. And and so uh, the sermon title today is, is called, There's No Turning Back. Because oftentimes in our trajectory of moving forward, what stops us and halts us and slows us down the most from beginning to point A to point B is looking back, to be held down, and to constantly uh, be be thinking about and being a slave to our past, to 2016, to 2015, whatever it may be. And and so if you are the note-taking type and it would drive you crazy without a bulletin, I'll give you a head start. I'll give it to you right now. We're going to be talking about four elements here uh, of moving forward into what God has called us to be. Uh, And number one is this. What's the goal? Paul talks about the goal a lot. So the first thing we're going to tackle is uh, what's the goal? The second is uh, once we find the goal, we got to run towards it. Paul makes that very clear in his exhortations. Find out what the goal is. Move towards it. Number three, and you don't look back. Talk about what that means and what that doesn't mean. Uh, And lastly, share the prize. And we'll unpack those four points. So join me in prayer. God, thank you so much that we're able to come together. It's a brand new year. And we know that you have something for each and every one of us. Reveal that to us today. Help us to know you more deeply, profoundly. uh, And we thank you for it. In your name we pray. Amen. So several years ago, I worked at a, a youth camp, a Young Life camp, 
back then, it was called uh, Wild Horse Canyon uh, down in Oregon. And I was on summer staff there. And when I arrived there, I was really excited, and they gave me my first assignment, or my assignment for the summer. And the assignment was that I would be working at the climbing wall in the rec center. I said, great, I can do that. So, so we head over there, and essentially what I'm doing is I'm belaying junior high students. Uh, so basically, you know, tie, you know, put a rope on them and a harness and, and have them come up and down a huge wall. So essentially, uh, their lives were in my hands. Now, what they didn't know, or maybe what the kids didn't know, is that I had never climbed a wall in my entire life, let alone belayed anybody. Uh, And so at that point, I knew it was going to be a great and fun summer. Uh, But I remember learning one thing, is that when you belay these students, especially students, uh, you you clip them in, in the harness, and and they go up. Uh, Not only are you helping them get up and down the wall with the rope, but you're actually kind of counseling them throughout the whole thing. Because a lot of them, like myself, have never climbed this wall before. And so I would be at the bottom, okay, good job. Now your left hand over there, now your right hand over there, it's going to be okay, keep going. And I would tell them that their goal is to get to that top of that wall and ring that bell that was at the top. That was the prize. That was the goal every time anybody climbed that wall. And so something like this would frequently happen. They would get halfway up the wall, and they would kind of slow down, and they would get stuck. And they would say, I can't do it. I can't do it because it was too high. And then I would respond, yes, you can. Keep going. No, I can't. I can't. I can't. Yes, you can. Keep going. We'd go back and forth, back and forth. And finally, they would start inching their way back up. And I would say this. I would say, you can do it. Just don't do one thing. And I repeat, do not, do not look down. And as soon as I say, do not look down, what do you think they do? They look down, and they panic, and they're paralyzed with fear, and they feel like they can't continue going towards that goal, that prize of ringing that bell. Now, what we don't know, or what I've eventually realized, is that that is an illustration, a display of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus, to live the Christian life. That oftentimes, that when we climb up that wall, when we're going towards that prize, we get stuck with fear, with, not, with uncertainties, with past mistakes, whatever it is. And like that kid in the middle of that wall, looking down, we become gripped with fear. And so Paul, in, a, in the same way, talks about uh, a goal that us as Christians, we possess as well. It might be different from ringing a bell at the top, but us as Christians, living the Christian life, we also have a goal. And, and our goal is to get to the prize. And Paul explains it in Philippians chapter 3 pretty clearly. And he says this in, chapter 10, or in verse 10, he says, I want to know Christ. That's the goal. That's his prize of knowing Christ. He says, I want to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, become like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. And then he says, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, 
forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ as we read this morning. Paul makes it clear that for himself and others that are followers of Jesus, saying that your goal, my goal, is to move forward by knowing Christ. Now, this word that Paul uses uh, is this Greek word to know, this Greek word gnosis. And this word uh, means to know, but there's two words in the Greek. There's gnosis, to know, and then there's this other word called ido, ido, which is also to know. Now, this word ido literally means to know, to know about something, to have information about a particular person or a particular object, just, just knowing something about it. But see, Paul doesn't use that word when, claim, when talking about wanting to know Jesus. Although he uses Ido a lot all over the New Testament, this time, in a unique way, he uses this word gnosis, which is also to know, but, but it's different to a certain degree. It means to know intimately. It's, it means to know deeply, profoundly, mysteriously, to have an actual relationship with this person that you know. So it goes way further than just to know about a person or a thing. It, it means really to be interconnected in a deep and profound way. And he's saying, my goal, our goal is not just to know about Jesus, not just to know the things that he's done and what he's done for us, but it's actually to have a relationship pursuing Jesus, knowing who he is, and knowing what Jesus has for my life. It's to intimately and profoundly and deeply know Christ. That's the word that he uses. And he continues on and he says, but to know Christ, gnosis, no, not idos, but to gnosis, to know Christ in that way is downright difficult. And as a matter of fact, it's like a race, he says. You got to keep running because sometimes it gets hard. You got to keep moving. You got to keep pushing. You got to keep going forward. And, and to a certain degree, he says, but, but, but do not, I repeat, do not Look back. You got to keep going. And if you're a follower of Jesus, that is our goal. That is the prize that we pursue. And if you're here, and statistically, if you don't consider yourself a Christian or a follower of Jesus, I ask you this morning to consider today, as this new year begins, what if Jesus has something for you? Because I would agree that he does. And perhaps maybe Jesus might be offering you something that you have yet to find. So I encourage you as we continue that you would ask yourself what God might have for me. Because I do believe that God has something for everybody. Because talking about or talking to people uh, throughout the last couple weeks and, and, you know, reading social media posts, uh, what I've come to realize is that 2016 has not been very nice to many people. And maybe if you're sitting here, you would agree with that. And some of the words that I've heard describing 2016 for some is that it's been difficult. Uh, it's been painful, uh, challenging. 
And the question in the midst of all of that is this, is in the midst of that, how do we move forward out of 16 and into 17 in knowing Christ more? What might be hindering you from that forward trajectory? I mean, think about it. I mean, maybe is it a broken relationship or a loss of somebody? that might be prohibiting you from your forward movement? Is it a hopelessness in a job? Hopelessness in a, in a financial situation? Family situation? Maybe there's an, an addiction or whatever it is. Ask yourself, what is it that might be holding you back from moving forward just as Paul has exhorted us to do? But there's a flip side as well. Maybe for some of us, uh, 2016 and even years before has been just incredible. So incredible that you actually ask yourself, how can, it get be, how can it get better? How can it get better than what I've already experienced? Because when things are going well, sometimes that is even more dangerous than when things are going really bad. Because when it's going so well, we're most tempted to just put in neutral and to just coast. And to just coast. But whether your 2016 was really awful or really good or anything in between, it's through knowing Christ that gives us hope in all, in each and every one of those circumstances. This means that no matter what your story is, Again, no matter how great, how awful, what you've been through, the pain, the trauma, the suffering, the good and the bad, the power of knowing Christ transcends all of that, all of that. So our goal as we go go into 2017 may be to know, not just know about Jesus, but to truly know who Christ is and what Christ has to offer us. Because I promise you, and the Bible promises us, that to know Christ changes everything. Brings us hope even in the places where we feel like there's no hope. Brings us joy even in the places where we have nothing to be joyful about. Brings us forgiveness in our shame. Brings us light in our darkness. And knowing Christ deeply and intimately in the gnosis kind of way changes our life forever. And so Paul, as we read these verses, says that the goal is to know Christ. That is our goal. And second, once we identify what that goal is, we have to run towards it. We have to run towards it, which is our second point. See, Paul in our text and in many other areas, in many parts of the other letters that he's written, he uses illustrations around sports. He knew that during this time that his audience would understand exactly what he was talking about when he uses metaphors like running and boxing and track and field uh, and endurance and, and words like that. Because during this time, there were these games, very similar to the Olympics, uh, and, and it was called the Ismian Games which were going on for centuries and centuries, even in uh, the time of when Paul was writing his letters. And the Ismian games were held in the city of Corinth, uh, which 
is on an isthmus in Greece, uh, and it was very well known. The Isthmian Games were very well known throughout Greece and even throughout the entire ancient Near East, uh, including the Roman Empire. Uh, and, and the Isthmian Games, that which everyone knew about, was dedicated to this god, this Greek god named Poseidon. Poseidon with the, with the trident, with the pitchfork. Uh, and runners in the Isthmian Games had one goal and one goal only, obviously, to win, to win the Isthmian Games. And see, like, unlike other competitions, the Isthmian Games uh, only had one winner. There wasn't a first place, a second place, a third place. Uh, there was one winner uh, in the events of the Isthmian Games. And the champion would win money, they would win fame and honor, not only for themselves, but their entire family. I mean, they would be well-known in their, uh, the region that they came from. I mean, it was a big deal. But the biggest deal and the most important deal was this, that the winner would receive this crown. But the, but the crown was actually made uh, of pine, uh, and it would easily fade away. It would actually disintegrate at, to a at a certain point. But for some reason, it was this crown that was coveted. It was this crown that they would wear and walk around and boast of their winnings and their achievements. And here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. I love it. He says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run? So there's many competitors in the race. He's actually talking about the Ismian Games. And then he says, but there's only uh, one winner. It says, but only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. And in verse 25 it says, Everyone who competes in the games, the Isthmian games, goes into strict training. And then listen to this. They do it to get a crown that will not last. Paul is specifically talking about that crown made out of vine leaves. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it, followers of Jesus, we run the race towards that prize of knowing Christ. We do it to get a crown that will actually last forever. See, Paul understands that for the games, they don't just show up. I mean, if you're an athlete, if you play sports or even music or art or whatever it is, you don't just show up on game day thinking that you're just going to win and dominate the whole thing, right? No, hours and hours before the event, you've practiced, you've drilled, You've trained. You've lived and breathed that sport. Paul understood that the athletes of these Ismian games were doing the same thing. And Paul eventually says, and for what? What is all this hard work, all this training for, for you to receive a prize, a crown that will actually fade away? It will literally, it will wilt away, unlike the crown that we pursue through Christ. And the question for all of us is this, for you and for me, the question is this, what are you, what am I, what are we running towards? What are we running towards? Because the reality is that more often than not, we are running towards something. As human beings, the way that we're wired, the way that we're created, we're, we're running towards something. Is what you are running towards, is it something that is of the temporary, something, a, a crown that will eventually wilt away, fade away, or are we running towards 
something, somebody with love and compassion and, and the fruits of that pursuit will last forever. Which direction are you running? And, and I would say this, if you're unclear uh, of the direction that you're running, uh, I would advise you to do this. Figure out how much, where, where you spend your time, your money, your energy, your resources, your emotions. Because I would say that that is a good indication of the direction that you're running towards. Probably more than what you would say with your own words. What are you running towards? See, some of us were running towards uh, uh, upward mobility. Some of us were running towards material possessions and gains or more money, or more relationships, or more of whatever it is. And, and the funny thing is that every January 1st, today, becomes a day that we can say this, what we're running towards, we can say it out loud in the name of having goals, in the name of having New Year's resolutions, yet we're only perpetuating our pursuit of the temporary. And how do I know that these pursuits can be temporary? I mean, think about your New Year's, New Year's resolutions from 2016. I mean, how many have them stuck? And if it's anything like mine, close to, close to none. Now, when we make these long lists of New Year's resolutions, don't get me wrong. Uh, I'm not saying that these are bad. As a matter of fact, these are really good things. As a matter of fact, I have a New Year's resolution as well, several of them. So I'm not saying that it's wrong, but my hope and desire is that for all of us sitting in this room is that first and foremost, our one hope, our one goal will be running towards Christ to know Christ more deeply this year for 2017. Because the reality is this, knowing Christ transcends behavior modification and it ends up and it becomes a heart transformation. Knowing Christ transcends behavior modification and it becomes a heart transformation. And if we're being honest with ourselves, New Year's resolutions are simply behavior modifications if we think about it. And it's this heart transformation that creates lasting change. It's heart transformation that brings us joy. It's heart transformation that brings us healing and wholeness. And all the things we want to accomplish with the list of New Year's resolutions, this list of behavior modifications, actually become a byproduct of our pursuit in knowing Christ more deeply. And I love what uh, C.S. Lewis says. He says this. He says, put first things first, and we get the second things thrown in. But, se but if we put the second things first, we lose both the first and second things. See, pursuit of Christ, the byproduct of that is essentially our list. But it begins with not just this list of goals, but a deeper renovation of our hearts. So first we must identify the goal. It's to know Christ in a deep and profound way. It's to, re it's to run towards Christ 
and not anything else that is temporary. And third, what we need to do, what Paul says as we're running towards Christ, to know Christ, towards that prize, he says, don't look back. He says, don't, in verse 13, says to move forward towards the goal, towards knowing Christ more. He says to forget what lies behind. And then in verse 15, he says, uh, those that are mature are able to do this well. Those that are mature are able to do this well. Several years ago, when I was a youth pastor up north, uh, I volunteered at a local high school to invest in the community, into the students that I was working with, and I was an assistant wrestling coach. And and one thing I realized in my first day of practice, uh, well, my first week of practices, is that there's a huge, and maybe if you're a parent of adolescence, you know this, There's a huge difference, especially when it comes to boys, between a freshman boy and and one that is a senior, right? And and, and physically, uh, they're usually they're bigger, they're stronger, uh, they're quicker, they have more experience. And and so right when I walk into the mats or the locker room, I know who the freshmen are and I know who the seniors are. And, And typically, especially when it comes to wrestling, typically it was the seniors that were just better wrestlers. Uh, Yes, part of it was because they were bigger and stronger and they had more experience. But what I've come to realize is that what makes them better wrestlers than than the freshmen was not only their physical attributes, but it was this. It was their maturity and the fact that they were able to have a short memory. As they matured into athletes, the seniors, they had, they were able to have a short memory. And in sports uh, and, and in, in, in a lot of things, in competition uh, and in performances, there's this saying that says, you have to have a short memory. What does that mean? What does it mean to have a short memory? Uh, it means this, that in any game, in any competition, any performance, that there will be a time where you will make a mistake. There will be a time where things just don't go your way. Yet, your ability to not be consumed by your mistakes, by how hard, how, how hard it was, how difficult it was, how challenging it was. Your ability to not be consumed by all of that will govern your ability to move forward. The more you hold on to your mistakes, the more you hold on to the past, the more you hold on to the things that were wronged to you, the more difficult it will be for you to move forward. And so Paul says, forget what lies behind. And so Paul, when he talks about this word forget, it's this Greek word, uh, lanthano. And I love looking at the original language because it helps us get a better picture of what he's actually trying to say. And this word lanthano, he conjugates it and it becomes a participle, which is essentially a verb, an, an action word. And as we usually translate this word forget as as something that's removed from our memory bank or this element of of amnesia, like pretending that it never happened, this passive thing that we do, Paul's saying, no, actually to forget the way that I'm talking about it, lenthano actually takes work. It actually requires us to do something, to take action. It's not that we just pretend something didn't happen. It actually means doing a deep, difficult time of inventory of what that is. 
And this word uh, forget, lenthano, in the Greek, it doesn't mean, again, doesn't mean removing something from your memory bank. It actually means releasing something. It means giving over. That's the proper definition. That's what it means to forget, to release, to give over. And to do this is not passive. It's not easy. It's not pretending it didn't happen. It takes work. It's deliberate. It's intentional. What Paul is saying is that the past does not determine your future. But again, it takes deep work. It requires grieving. Sometimes it requires lament. It's not pretending. It's not suggesting that something didn't happen because it really happened. And it's really a problem. And it doesn't have to define yours or my future. That is the grace of God that liberates us when we release, when we forget our past. We do not have to be shackled by what we've done or what has been done to us. When we think back in, in 2016 and even the years past, have you made an unhealthy decision? Well, it doesn't have to stop you from moving forward into knowing Christ and receiving what Christ has for you. Has somebody hurt you? You don't have to pretend it never happened, but it doesn't have to stop you from moving forward and knowing Christ. Has life turned out in a way that was unexpected or a way that you never wanted? Yes, that is painful. Yes, that is terrible, but it doesn't have to stop you for moving forward and knowing Christ? Or, or has 2016 and the years past, has it been so good, like we talked about earlier, so good that you don't want to move forward? And to you, I would say that God has something even for you bigger and better. God has something for you. See, what Paul did in chapter uh, 3 and verse 4, he goes down this resume. He says, look, all the things that I've accomplished. He says, if anybody has a reason to be confident, if anybody has a reason to boast, if anybody has a reason just to put it in neutral and just to coast for the rest of my life, it's me with all the things that I've accomplished. But instead of that, I love what he says. He says, I consider it not as a gain, but as a loss. And again, looking at this original language, this word loss means, uh, is the Greek word zemia. And, and actually, it doesn't just mean, oh, it's just not good or, or it's, it's lost somewhere. It actually means, uh, zemia actually means damage or sustaining injury. It means damage or sustaining injury, meaning that if I think my life is complete because of my resume, I am in deep, deep trouble. And not only because it's not true, this mentality will actually be destructive and cause damage to my future and my relationship with God. See, what has for a lot of us, including myself, many of us, what has happened in the past often enslaves us from experiencing what might happen for us in the future. 
So be confident that knowing Christ and pursuing Christ sets you free from the past. God offers you a future. Don't refuse it. Embrace it. But the thing is, it takes courage to do this. It's way easier to forget. It's way easier to sit there in the pain, in the trauma. It's easier to, to hold a grip on it and to not to forgive. It actually takes work. It actually takes courage to say, I'm going to go there. I'm going to reopen that wound. I'm going to address it and do work. I love what... Um, Ambrose Redmond says he's a novelist, and he says this about courage. He says, courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the judgment that something else is far more important than what I fear. I love that. Courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the judgment that something else is far more important than that what I fear. See, a lot of us, we'd rather just stay right where we're at. We don't want to move forward because we're gripped with that fear, just like that kid climbing that wall. Because we're not very good with uncertainty and trusting and surrendering to God. And we're not good with uncertainty. We're not good with the unknown because sometimes following Christ is just that. And we don't like going into the unknown, not knowing the end of the story. We don't like it so much that we create the story of ourselves. Ourselves. We may not know the end of the story, so we create the end of the story ourselves, even if it's a crummy ending, because it's better to have a crummy ending of a story and to know it rather than to not know at all. I mean, don't we do that? I mean, I do that all the time. We expect the worst. We, we imagine the worst. We imagine terrible things because I'd rather know the end of the story than to be in the dark. And yet creating that story in our lives can be debilitating. It can hold a grip on us from moving forward. So we identify the goal. We run towards it. We don't look back. And finally, we share the prize. And here's what I mean by that. See, in the Ismian games, there was only one winner, like we talked about. And everybody knew that. In fact, that's what made the winner even more popular amongst his or her peers, is that there was only one winner. And what Paul is saying here is that the prize of knowing Christ is available, not just for one person, not just for himself, but available for everybody, for every person. He's basically saying, essentially, everybody can be a winner. Everyone can get the prize. Insert millennial joke, but I won't. And I love what Paul says. He says, I say this in tears. He says, I write this in tears. He wants everybody to know the hope that he has found through Jesus. He wants everybody to be invited by it. And what he's saying is the way that we invite people is through the way we live. Not only do we know Christ, but we become agents for Christ to winning people over for God's kingdom. And not just to know about, but to really know in a gnosis, transformative kind of way. His heart breaks for people 
to know the same love that he has experienced. And it says in Philippians, I want to know Christ by sharing in his suffering. Paul understands that knowing Christ is about being an agent of Christ so others can be invited into the community. And this invitation is in the form of love, compassion, justice, forgiveness. This is what it looks like to invite others into that same race to receive the same prize that God is calling us to. There's something so redemptive and so vindicating about that. See, often, see a lot of us, we, we carry around a backpack, an imaginary backpack. And I've seen, and I got this illustration from a pastor that I, I really admire that I'll never forget. It was so powerful. He says we all carry this backpack, all of us. And, and all the suffering and all the trauma and all the bad experiences, all the hurt, all the pain, we actually load it up into this backpack one by one. And eventually this backpack gets really heavy, and it makes us weary, it makes us tired. And so in our direction of moving forward, we can't do it because this backpack has become so heavy for our journey. But yet God in his, in his redemptive power does something to that backpack. We look into that backpack, and all of a sudden there's a transformation. What we see is food. What we see is water for others, and it gives life to the others that are suffering as well. Your pain, your experiences, your hardship, your past actually becomes a gift that you give away to others, and suddenly your backpack is lighter, and you can continue walking in that journey towards the prize. That's the mystery. That's the compassion. That's the love and grace of what God has to offer in his redemptive powers for us. That very thing that was holding us down, that very thing that was sucking life right out of us, actually ends up being the source of life for many others. And as I invite the worship band up, I want us to think about this conclusion. In 2 Timothy, Paul's last words, it says... This is known as many, for many scholars, Paul's last words. He says this. He says, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown he uses this word crown intentionally. He says, now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness instead of pine needles, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. I love that his, the, the verbs and the way he, he says this is no longer, uh, in Philippians, he, he, he was saying, oh, I haven't made it yet, but I'm going towards the goal. I'm going towards the prize. And finally, right before his death, he says it's finished. He says, I fought. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I don't know why, for the first time when I was reading this, Paul's words, uh, I started getting kind of teary-eyed. Because I can imagine Paul saying in his old state, right before his death, him saying, I did it. I've fought the good fight. I've won the race. I've gotten the prize. 
And my desire and my hope for all of us, including myself, is that as we look back in our life, and as we look forward into the direction that we're going, that we can say, I am fighting the good fight. I am going towards who Christ has called me to be. I am knowing deeply and profoundly, knowing who Christ is, because knowing that changes everything about me. And at the end of the day, we can look back and say, I did it. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. But what's holding you back as we identified the goal, as we run towards it? We don't look back and we share it. Maybe for a lot of us, many of us, there's something holding us back from that. Maybe it's wrong that you've done. Maybe it's wrong that's been done to you. Maybe it's a pain, a loss, whatever it is. As we go into 2017, today is the first day when we look forward and not be held by our past. May 2017 be the year that we don't just fix our behavior, but we fix something deeper in our hearts. And so as a response, as we continue in worship, this is kind of impromptu, so there's not a space in your bulletin, but I want you to do this. I want you to just write down what that is. What might, you, what might be holding you back? What might be prohibiting you, slowing you down from that journey into receiving that prize of knowing Christ in a deep and profound and intimate way? Whatever that is, let's make a symbol. Let's make a, a, a gesture of surrendering that. So we're going to write that down, maybe in the corner of your bulletin, and just rip that piece off and bring it here at the, at the altar, saying, God, I give this to you. I give you this, and I give you 2017. May it be what you want for me. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that you want to transform our lives in a deep way, not just behavior modification, but a transformation. And we do that by knowing you more and more and more until the day we can finally say, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. But God, today, for many of us, there's things holding us back that has a grip on us. We'll write that down, God, and we give it to you, knowing that you will release it from us. In your name we pray. Amen.